Father, we thank you this morning when we can gather together. Thank you, Lord, for providing this day, one day in, in seven, uh, for us to rest in you, to be reminded of who you are, uh, to find our, uh, really, our, our center again. Uh, throughout the week, we get pulled in many different directions. Our, our eyes often uh, get taken to different places. And thank you that you have called us. In fact, you have commanded us to have one day in seven, this, this day, in which we look to you, in which we uh, worship you, in which we spend time together with one another. Uh, we set our minds and our hearts upon, upon our God. And uh, we need that. And so we thank you this morning. Uh, we pray for your help, uh, Lord, as we uh, open up your word and as we seek to know you in a greater way. We know that uh, each one of us here are, if, if we're honest with ourselves, we are weak, we are feeble, uh, we are prone to falling away easily, we are prone to doubts, uh, we are prone to all of that, a, a great weakness within us. And yet, we are able to depend upon you and to find true strength and to find uh, true uh, health uh, for our souls. And so, Father, we do pray that this morning you will, you will bolster that uh, and help us. Uh, give us uh, the ability to fill in the blanks in our own minds and hearts as we open up your word. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Um, now, as we, so like I said, this is about the sovereignty of God, and as we talk about God as a sovereign God, He is over all things, He is rock solid, uh, that we can depend upon Him, that uh, He is eternal, has no beginning, no end, uh, on and on, and then talk about what He has done since before time began, what He has designed, what He has purposed. Uh, just think for a moment about what was happening when the confession was written. Uh, and what what this section uh, might have meant to those for whom, uh, if you think back to the history lesson that we gave, their foundations were shaken. Uh, we don't hear uh, cannonballs being shot off shot off outside uh, the, the windows of the church, uh, but they did. A civil war was going on. There was actually no legal church that existed uh, at that time. Uh, the uh, the legal basis for the church has been yanked away. So it was really up to this group. I don't know if we talked about this. It was up to this, this group that gathered together, the Westminster Assembly, to uh, uh, examine potential pastors uh, for churches. Uh, this, this was the only body that could, uh, could legally do that. Uh, and so there was all this uncertainty during that time period. Uh, the king, King Charles, was... Well, he had his head removed, uh, so it was called, called regicide, uh, and there was this uh, conflict, huge conflict, a civil war within the country, and so uh, lack of certainty about anything, and yet, as they worked and as they went through these things, what they knew was that God is in control, and you can only imagine how that must have helped those from all over the country, those who even from Scotland, they were coming down. There was uncertainty there as well. Uh, but they they were, were writing these things. They were going uh, pouring over God's word in order to make sure that it was it was uh, summarized and documented correctly. And this this uh, section's at the heart of it. Uh, and so just just think of what good that did for them. And I think we can think at the same time that we need that, don't we? We need a basis upon which to stand daily. Um, just before we get into this very far, there's something that, I don't see, we don't have kids coloring this morning. <laughs> I was gonna, we should steal their coloring sheets because there's something that, the, <laughs> that the, some of the kids who are coloring over there that they have, I didn't have room to fit it in on the, on the sheet here. And uh, what, what it was, uh, it was a, a full sheet that had the layout of a, of a house. Uh, what do you need before you build a house? What do you call that? Okay, well, you need a foundation. Thank you. That's exactly. But even before you build the foundation or anything, in any materials, what do you need? You need a plan. And what do you call it? Blueprint. There you go. Carl, score one. All right. Uh, so, so 
Blueprints. If you want an easy way to think about God's decree, that's it. Blueprints. Now if we're going to continue with uh, this uh, illustration. What do you do with a house next? Well, you build the foundation. And what are you doing at that point? You're building. What's that equivalent to? So let me, let me put right here. This is God's decree, or we can say decrees. Uh, I think I'm going back to green. Um, what's the next? What, what happens next? What's equivalent to uh, in, in God's economy and what God has done to building the house? What? Okay, that's one good way of putting it. Yeah. Okay, so uh, Genesis chapters one, well, one and two, but especially chapter one. What do we have? What? Creation, and that's setting things in order. That's exactly right. Uh, so let's say creation. So that's God building the house. What then has to happen? Well, unfortunately, all, many of us know here that. Uh, there's upkeep that's involved. You gotta cut the grass. You gotta, you know, paint. It falls apart. Okay. So, what it, what would that be in God's in God's economy? Amy. Okay, and that is what's happening. I'm looking for one word, but Bible. dominion is good. Bible. Okay. And that, that's, that's going to give us the full picture of what God is doing. But what, what is it that God's doing when He's maintaining things? Uh, and it's equivalent to, to keeping up the house constantly. Every moment, right now, He's sustaining us. Work. What? Work. Work. Providence. Thank you. It's the name of our church. <laughs> All right. So, very good. Providence and yes, work is, uh, is a big part of that. E-N-C-E. And what I wanted to give you is this is the way the, the confession and the catechisms are laid out. That right now, uh, we, we've already talked about Scripture. We've already talked about God, who God is. Before time began, uh, God. Uh, there, there, there is God. Um, but then... What God has done, the very first thing is before time began that He, a plan, a purpose. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Uh, but then He created, like that. Uh, he, he created six days, He created. Uh, and then, and this continues through to the day, it's, it's uh, what we rely upon, of course, constantly. We say, I can't breathe a breath. Without God giving me, without Him sustaining me, my heart beats because God provides for it. He provides the power that's needed uh, and keeps me uh, going. And so, if you can, if you can have those three in mind, that's what we're looking to uh, over the next few chapters. Uh, we're gonna gonna go through the building of a house, um, but today is the plan and the purpose. Um, that, does everybody have a copy of the confession? Okay, I got another, at least one copy. And there's another. Okay, so so we're good. I think everybody's everybody's good. So you turn to chapter three. This should be on page, at least in my book. Mine's a little bit different, but page fourteen. It's right at the very bottom. Yep. So you're in the same. Uh, of God's eternal. Decree, and I'm just initially. I'm just going to read kind of the first line. That's uh, I'm sorry, the first sentence. I guess uh, God, from all eternity, did by the most wise and holy counsel of His own will, freely and unchangeably ordain whatsoever comes to pass. And so there, there's. There's a powerful statement I wrote in the notes. It's an unambiguous statement. Uh, it's very clear. It does. It is followed by a qualification. Here, I'll go ahead and read that. Uh, the qualification is this. It's actually a set of qualifications. So, remember the, the main statement, God from all eternity did unchangeably ordain whatsoever 
comes to pass. And then it says, yet so, he did this uh, so as thereby, neither is God the author of sin, nor is violence offered to the will of the creatures. That's talking about uh, that we, we still have free will within a certain realm. Uh, anyway, as, as we always do, uh, we have uh, will. So violence is not offered to the will of the creatures, nor is the liberty or contingency of second causes taken away, but rather established. We're going to talk about that in a minute. Primary cause and secondary causes. Uh, but first, that, uh, that first statement that he did ordain uh, whatsoever comes to pass. Uh, let's see, turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, there are a couple of places we could look in chapter 1, but uh, look down to verse 11. And uh, this is just kind of in, in the middle. There, there. About actually, if you look in, in the Greek language, the, there, all of this is from verse three on. is pretty much one sentence. <laughs> I mean, it's incredible. If you uh, talk about run-on sentences, Paul had a problem with uh, run-on sentences. But and they, in English, they try to break it up some, but it still comes across in that some way, so in that same way. So sometimes it's hard to. Jump in, but in verse eleven we can do that. We can go ahead and and, uh, and jump in. Uh, Edie, can you read that uh, verse? Yeah, you can read verse eleven and twelve. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Okay, and so some key words there in verse 11, having been predestined, chosen uh, beforehand, he's talking about the elect, uh, according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. This, this is, he, he, everything that he does is according to what he has ordained. It's for his uh, good pleasure. He is God. It makes sense. You can go just before that, uh, before verse 11. Uh, and this is kind of jumping in the middle of something there. But uh, in verse 8, I'll back up to verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, what he ordained to do, what he wanted to do, according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, uh, things in heaven, things on earth. But again, right there, it's talking according to his purpose uh, that, that before time began, that God purposed to do that which he did. Here, there it's saying uh, through his son, and after, after that it's saying he, to do all things. Uh, and so before time began, he set forth a plan. Uh, and, uh, and and that was before creation happened. And then you can see creation happened after that, and then uh, providence followed uh, as well. So uh, he did ordain whatsoever. Let, let me ask you a question. I'll make this personal to me, but uh, did God ordain my sin? No. This says he ordained all things. Okay, so what I want us to get through to is what does it mean that God ordained? Uh, what about the fall? Did God ordain the fall? Did He, in His plan and in His purpose, did He determine this is what's going to happen? Well, He knows all things, so He's sovereign. But then He didn't create evil. Okay, now now that's the distinction I want to I want to rise uh, raise up. Did he did did he enact that in, in terms of uh, did he my sin uh, so 
Did he cause me to sin? Did he no. cause my sin? And the answer is no. Yeah. My sin is mine. I've, I've got to own it. Was it part of his plan? Yeah. Yes. Was the fall part of his plan? Yeah. Yes. And we've got to affirm that. that before, and and it, it does make you, uh, it's, it's puzzling. You say, wait, why would God ordain the fall? Why would he ordain my sin that it would happen? For his glory. For his glory. And that's that's what this says, this statement. It's ultimately for his glory. Now, if you can answer the question, uh, and you may be able to, to attempt a pretty good answer at this, uh, but ultimately we've got to say, I, I can't, I'm not God, I don't know. But if you can answer the question, well, well, how in the world the fall and all that it brought about and look around us and all the the, the, the sin and the rebellion that we see and the hatred and uh, killing and everything that we see, how did ordaining the fall accomplish his greater glory? Well, we can, we can actually give biblically, I think, some pretty good answers to that. Uh, but ultimately, we do have to say, you know, I, I don't fully understand. I don't fully uh, know that. But, but God created all of us. He created all of creation for his own good pleasure and for his glory. And ultimately, we have to see. You've got to see God in that way. Now, you can, you can take that and you can determine, uh, well, I think, therefore, God is unjust. Well, uh, let's... Let's look at an answer to that. Uh, go to Romans chapter 9. Uh, what does unjust mean? Uh, well, unfair. Unfair, unfair. yeah, that's, that's a good way of, of putting it. You, you can think about somebody who, uh, you know, who stole everything that you own, and then they go before the judge, and the judge just says, I don't worry about it. Go. That's unjust, isn't it? <laughs> um, so look at Romans chapter 9, and we're not going to right now look at all of this, um, but look at verse 14, because he's answering that question. Uh, what shall we say then? And he's basically saying, uh, because of what goes before, and we'll talk about what goes before in just uh, a few minutes, but um, uh, because there's a lack of understanding about, well, why, why would God do that? And then verse 14, what shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. Uh, for he says to Moses, and this is what he's talking about, he's talking about uh, uh, choosing ahead of time some and not choosing others. Uh, for he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. Uh, and, and what he's saying there is that God is God. <laughs> and... What we can affirm is that God is everything that we've talked about in chapter 2. That God is fully just. And that God is fully loving. That He is good. And when I say that, I, I, I mean he, he really is. He's not just capricious like Allah, who uh, you, you talk to Muslims and they say, well, we don't know what He's going to do because in that sense, uh, Allah can sin. You know, all it can, all it can work, whatever. He, he doesn't have, but but with God, we know what the law says, right? And, and and God will not break His moral law, and so therefore we know what is good, and so He is solid. Uh, but sometimes we have to reach that point, even if it's just for a time, until we understand. And the question is, do we really love God? Do we really put God in the place where He truly is? Because if we do, we're going to be able to say. Uh, is there injustice on God's part? No, by no means. Uh, I may not understand things fully, but that means I'm not God. Uh, but I can trust and know that He is good, that He is faithful, uh, that he, he has this special love for those who are His, those who belong to Him, uh, and on and on. Now this section, I, I will say, as we talk about the sovereignty of God, this is a section where this comes up in a big way. Uh, especially because of what I mentioned before and what he's dealing with here in chapter 9, uh, what Paul is, is dealing with. Um, because it's that question, uh, well, how can he, and because we're going to talk about it in the next uh, couple of uh, paragraphs here, how can he um, 
ordain some to everlasting life. And uh, and you'll, you'll see the word wording there is and foreordain others to everlasting damnation. Uh, so that question comes up, and so in our minds we can begin to think, uh, and this is what the unbeliever must go to, well, God's unjust. Uh, because they can't receive and accept, I can't understand all things, but I know that God is good, that he is loving, that he is just, that he is holy. And all these are one, kind of like we talked about in, in chapter 2. Um, but we're starting off here, I'm getting a little bit ahead, ahead of ourselves. Um, uh, we're starting off with this uh, just statement on the decree, he did ordain whatsoever. Um, there are a couple of other things that are said here as part of that first statement. Uh, his decree is unchangeable. Look, to, look at Hebrews so near the end, end of the Bible, uh, right before James, after all the T books, and then Philemon, and then uh, Hebrews. Uh, Hebrews chapter 6, verse 17. And think about it. This is tremendously comforting. So uh, right here where we say he laid out the blueprint, what often happens when somebody uh, builds a house, they lay out the blueprint ahead of time, right? And then it may be something with the owner, maybe something with materials availability or whatever, uh, but the owner wants to shift the garage over to the other side of the house. Wouldn't you hate to be a builder or a, a, an architect they did that? Um, but what we do know about God is, and it's in that, that statement that we read, that his decree is uh, unchangeable, uh, unchangeably ordained whatsoever comes to pass. And that's what we're looking at here. Uh, somebody read Hebrews 6, 17. You get it? Thanks, Nate. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. Uh, keep on reading another verse. If you so would. that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. Don't you love those words? Uh, for which it is impossible for God to lie. Now, what I talked about before with Allah uh, and uh, you know the way Muslims see uh Allah uh, is, you know, they would, that, that, that wouldn't make any sense whatsoever. Uh, but with God it does. But look at the verse before it that Nathan read. Um, to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise. Who are the heirs of the promise? They are those who are, are part of his, uh, his covenant. Uh, the heirs of the promise. The unchangeable character of his purpose. So he guaranteed it with an, with an oath. Uh, and, and really, that he guaranteed it. That's for the people, right? He doesn't need to guarantee anything he's got but for for uh, us, for the people. But uh, it speaks about the unchangeable character of his purpose. God has ordained things. He has purposed things. And he's done it in such a way he doesn't need to go back and, and change uh, you know, what he has ordained. Um, but also one of the caveats there is you know, not the author of sin. We can kind of see it in that uh, you know, it's impossible for God to lie. Uh, there are a number of other places we can go. Um, uh, somebody go to Psalm 5 4. And. Will, can you get that? Psalm, Psalm 5 4 and then uh, Habakkuk 1 13. So going to go to Habakkuk. I know your minor prophets, I guess. Psalm 5, verse 4. For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. Okay. You're not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. Can God sin? The answer is no. He cannot go against his law. That's what evil is. It's that, that which is characterized by a, 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 a transgression uh, of God's law. Uh, Habakkuk 1.13, I, I read that. Uh, so this is, uh, Habakkuk has a real problem with God. 
Habakkuk's trying to understand uh, really the, the question that we're dealing with here. The, the, the Chaldeans uh, have come against God's people and, and uh, Habakkuk, the prophet, ex- uh, complains to God and says, you know, God, how could this happen? How could you allow this? These are your, your people. Uh, but he does say as part of his complaint, he says this, uh, he's actually talking about God's character, and he's still saying, well, how could you do this? And he says, you who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? That's, if you know the book of Job, that's basically what's going on with Job and especially the, the friends of Job. But even Job has this picture that uh, God must act. You know, if somebody's righteous, then he must act in a, in a certain way. But no, we live in a world uh, that, uh, in, in which there is tribulation throughout uh, the fall has affected all uh, all things, but what we can know through it all uh, is that God has purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong. We know that that's a true statement. Uh, that God cannot uh, sin. Um, okay. So I I, I want to finish up this uh, this statement. I I've got you know under letter B. On, on, about these things that we're talking about here, as you look at that that, that first main statement, uh, and then some of the caveats that are given uh, that God from all eternity did by the most wise and holy counsel of His own will, freely and un- unchangeably ordain whatsoever comes to to pass. Is there comfort for us today in the midst of our lives? Uh, is there comfort to be found in in that, in knowing that, in knowing that? The, the, his purpose, his plan is unchangeable. It's set. What is that? What, where do we find that comfort? Why? Why is that comforting to us? Because God doesn't lie. That's right. What, we're guaranteed that he doesn't go back on that. He doesn't lie. That his, his promises we can take to the bank because that's part of his plan that he has laid out. Now, do we know exactly what's going to happen tomorrow? Uh, whether our world might come crashing around uh, around us? No. But what do we know that's about this world in which we live? Well, if it comes crashing around us, right. we know that um, God's purposes are for that, and that right. whatever comes from that is designed by Him to bring glory to Him, and it's for our good. For our greater good. That's exactly right, and and I know that we can go to, you know, Romans eight twenty eight, uh, and and become kind of trite about it in a sense, but it's it's not trite, and it's all of God's word that, that says that, uh, that 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 God is working for, and, and this is for those who are called according to His purpose. This is for those who who belong to Him, or we could say those who have turned to Him and trusted in in Christ. It's only for them, but. But that in all things he is working for their greater good, for our greater good. But that doesn't mean it's always going to be what we want. (laughs) That's right. But ultimately, it is. Is it what's best for us, though? Yes, it's what's best, but it's not. May not be what. It's kind of like the the the, the kid, and I'm going to give a an illustration in in a sermon where I. Illustrate this in our own family, but uh, it's like the kid that falls and, and skins their knee, and all of a sudden it's like the whole world is, uh, it, it, you know, in their world is crashing down. Uh, yet, that you know, immediately they're taken up, uh, and and it may be in some cases there may be something that, that their parent this happens again and again. You know, their parent must do. Uh, you know, a, a spanking. What do we say when, when we give a spanking? Uh, sorry. No. no, we don't say sorry. No, no, we say we say uh, we might say this hurts me more than it hurts you. How true that is. But uh, but we also can say this is for your good. <laughs> this is this is. I, I'm looking ahead. You can't see what's li- what lies ahead of you. But this is for your good. Uh, it's to shape you. 
It's to move you in the right direction if it's done in the right way, of course. But, uh, yeah. So uh, that that's that's who God is, and that and that's why knowing uh, that this is true, if if we know all about who God is and and therefore who we are in His hands, then this becomes tremendously comforting. And all of a sudden, in the midst of whatever we're going through, we have this solid rock upon which we're standing, you know, day after day. Uh, that that is exactly what we need. Um, so, as their comfort, I was going to have us read. Is anybody there? Matthew six um, twenty-five. Yeah, could you read that, Ellie? I was a little long, but uh, six twenty-five and a poem. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. What you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his life's span? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. But God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven. Will he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore, okay. yeah, we, that's, that's great. Yeah, do not be anxious. I, I mean, that's, that's kind of the, the command, but it's given out of a, a sense of compassion. Uh, you know, don't, don't be anxious because you're in my hands. And am I not working for your good? Am I not giving you exactly, ultimately, what you need? Even though you can't always see it, can't you trust in me? And, and the answer has to be, if we know the Lord, uh, yes, uh, that he is working things according to his plan. And that's in, you know, we, we often think of that as kind of a big picture, but right in the midst of my life, he has ordained all things, and he's working things according to that. But that verse 30 is very important. Please, yes. Yeah. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Yes. And so so constantly in your heart uh, be be seeking after that which is right and good. And one of the promises, I mean, immediately in our minds we might think, well, there's a command that I how am I supposed to do that? But if I belong to the Lord then that will be my heart. My heart's been changed, right? And so it, it has this orientation toward God so that that becomes what I desire. Uh, although I still have the flesh, I still turn back this way, but when I hear that, say, yes, okay, that's what I want. That's who I am now, uh, is to seek after that. So, uh, again, there's comfort uh, through and through. Now, let me just touch on, uh, real quickly, this liberty uh, or contingency of second cause. I'm going to do this real quick. Um, but if you have a question, we can look at it further. Look at the little little guy there with a, base, a bat and a, a baseball. <laughs> By the way, what you don't see is he knocks the ball out of the park. Um, and so when he hits the ball out of the park, where does the power come from for that ball to get knocked out of the park? Does it come from primary, the, the uh, primary cause or secondary causes? I know this is kind of if you have both. Okay, both, but 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 all to, but finally it, it's it's the batter, right? And 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 he and God has given him the strength that he needs. Uh, now everything he has comes from God, but it is the batter that has true power, and he's he's knocking it out of the ballpark. And so God did ordain, and this again, this may seem trite to you. I don't know. But God did ordain that at that moment in time that that ball that ball would be knocked out of the ballpark. Okay, uh, you know, that may change the way certain people or teams would, would look at baseball if they if they recognize that. Uh, he did ordain that, but it, he he used the secondary cause uh, for that to take place. 
another question. Uh, you know, we see uh, God parted the Red Seas uh, with the uh, with the Israelites. Primary or secondary cause? Primary. Primary. Thank you. God did that, right? Yeah, there was no. There was no man. Yeah, yeah. So, um, uh, little baby Eleanor uh, last week had, uh, or a couple of weeks ago, had surgery to switch uh, aortic. Primary or secondary causes? Secondary. Good, good. Does God work today through primary causes to to heal? Does He heal directly? No. Sometimes. 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 The answer is yes. Absolutely. And and we can and, and that's why we can pray in that way. We can pray that that this this child, however Lord you choose to heal this child, if it is through the doctors and through the, the medicines there, uh, Lord, we put that into your hands. But it is, if it is directly, uh, we can pray in that way. Now uh, we're we're not saying that. We're not talking about gifts here, and those with gifts of, of, of healing and that kind of kind of thing. I, I'm just not talking about that. I'm talking about that uh, God does work in direct ways in this world today. In fact, if we look around us, we could we can see where He's working constantly in direct ways. But He also uses secondary causes. Uh, and so, what this paragraph is saying that yes, even though God ordains all things, uh, He He does it in such a way that the liberty or contingency of second causes is not taken away, but rather established. It's just saying that he, he does this. Uh, that's that's how uh, he carries out his plan and purposes uh, through both secondary causes and, and primary causes. Does that make sense? So what was the secondary causes? The means? The means. That's exactly right. Yes. So when we use that word means... Uh, that uh, the Lord u- uses the means of physicians uh, to, uh, to to bring healing, uh, um, and, and on and on. The Lord uses means throughout. So yeah, so I just want everybody to see that. If you look at, you can kind of see this uh, Acts two twenty two, and I wrote it in here. Um, Acts Acts two uh, chapter on Pentecost. This is when. Uh, all these people that were gathered together all of a sudden had their eyes open, especially the, the uh, disciples or apostles themselves had their eyes open. And Paul is able to preach in a way that he never preached before because he can see and understand. And he says, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. That's what? That's the decree of God. That's his, his purpose since before time began. That was the plan, but you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Uh, primary cause or secondary cause? Second. Secondary, right. But it was ordained since before time began. And you see another one in, in Acts chapter 4, a very powerful uh, statement, uh, very similar to this. But uh, again, primary and secondary causes. Um, so look at, look at the second paragraph uh, in the... Any, any questions about that first one? Look at the second paragraph. Yeah? One thing I thought was just, <clears throat> even in say that the part of the Red Sea, uh, it gives, I mean, God has the, the primary cause, but it talks about how he used and caused this wind. Okay. So, you know, oftentimes, even when there's no other, like he uses kind of a scientific means, you know, or something that he's using to cause this to happen. It wasn't just pushed his, you know, right, right, right. To do it. So anyway, I just thought it was um, that he, and, and I would put it this way: that he can use and often does use. You know, when we look around, is what we would say follow the laws of nature and things like that. But at the same time. There, there are some who would go through the Bible, and every time there's a miracle, you know, they, they would look at it and, and try to, uh, even though it may not, in this case, it's stated there how that uh, took place, but they may uh, they try to fit it into, well, God must use some other. And actually, when it comes down to it, you just begin to go through the Bible, you see it at both, you know. And, and, but that's a great point, I think, that he does do that. Um, and what I thought you were going to say was that. Well, this is actually secondary in a sense because he had Moses, uh, you know, put out his staff over the water. <laughs> so, 
But still, I would say that, you know, this is this is the hand of God. Well, but yeah, it's good. Um, yeah. So that that second paragraph there, uh, and it, you'll notice the the heading that I gave to it because really the one reason this paragraph is there, it's a what you might call a polemical reason. It, it's there to to clarify and uh, to refute uh, others who have, who have said certain things, but we need it uh, today. Um, and he, he's going to start talking about uh, in the next couple of paragraphs, in fact, in paragraph three, you see election and reprobation. So uh, election and that aspect of God's eternal decree, decree. And that's where we normally, that's what we spend the most time thinking about and, and puzzling over uh, out of Scripture is that it's uh, it's saving, salvation. Uh, but, remember, God's decree extends to all things. But this, uh, so this is along along those lines. Uh, it says, against Arminianism. By the way, um, if you look to the right of that, in the notes, you see two men. Anybody know who those men are? What? Actually, it's supposed to be, I think, it's supposed to be John Calvin, but... Yeah, you're right. I think the picture of John Lyson. <laughs> and I don't know exactly what they look like, but you go based on people drawing. <laughs> so the, the left one with the, the long beard is supposed to be uh, John Cowell. He, he lived 1509 to 1564. Uh, the kids actually had that in their coloring sheets. Um, and they got the names there, too, by the way. Uh, the man on the right, anybody know who he is? You, you wouldn't know by the record. What? Arminius, yeah. You're guessing the context. So Jacob Ar- Arminius uh, is there on the right. Now, he lived 1560 to 1604, and so he overlapped with Calvin just by four years, uh, and, and he was a, a baby, then, but uh, or a child. So when you hear about the, the debates between Arminius, Arminius and, uh, and Calvin, Remember, this was you know a generation later after after Calvin, based on what Calvin uh, had said, but not just Calvin. It's really based upon, and that that was the work of Calvin. Uh, it's based upon what the early church fathers had said too, and and how they had uh, interpreted God's word, uh, and and what the word uh, says as well. Um, so. This paragraph, paragraph two. Somebody want to read that? Paragraph two there. Caleb, can you read it? It's on page 16, number two there. Although God knows whatsoever may nay or can come to pass upon the whole yet hath he not decreed anything because he saw it as future or as that which would come to pass upon Okay, you get that. So the the first phrase or uh, you know, first statement there just talks about God's knowledge. Although God knows, He does know whatsoever uh, may or can come to pass upon all all conditions. Yet hath He not decreed anything? Uh, that goes back to that statement in number one. Uh, God's eternal decree. Had he not decreed anything, because he foresaw it as future or that which would come to pass uh, upon all, uh, all con- let's see, upon such such conditions. Um, and so this is, um, it, it, it's talking about how God's plan of redemption works. Um, and God's plan of redemption is either rooted in God's eternal sovereign decree, that God is over all things. It's either rooted in that, or uh, redemption is contingent upon man's choices. Okay, you get that? It's either one or the other. It's either rooted in God's eternal sovereign decree uh, that we just talked about, we just read that everything has been decreed by God, or it's contingent upon man's choice. And what Arminius said was that, uh, and here's the way she was stated, that God uh, look, looks down the quarter of time, well before he ever created anything, 
but he, he, in his foreknowledge, he looks down the corridor of time and he, he sees uh, Nathan. And he sees, as Nathan lives his life, uh, God knows this, but he doesn't do anything. Uh, but as Nathan lives his life way off in the, in the future, uh, that either Nathan is going to choose God or he's going to choose to reject God. Uh, and so therefore, uh, God then preordains or he chooses based upon what Nathan did. Is that you see what that's saying? Now that's, that's what Arminius said. Uh, and, and, and the question would be, uh, so who does that depend upon then? It depends on our own will, which means that we're, we would be rejecting the idea of Adam's sin being imputed to us. Whether okay, exactly. We yep. be say, that, that's right, because we are capable. We are the one who choose God, and that God is not sovereign in that he's looking down to see what we do. Right. And so you're bringing, what, you, what you're bringing up is one of the ways that we can see in Scripture this can't be the case, because we can see in, in Scripture that, that man is dead in his sins and trespasses. You go to Ephesians chapter 2. A dead in his sins and trespasses, unable on his own to do anything to uh, turn and, and approach God by his own will. And so it, it would be saying that what Nathan, what God looked down time uh, Nathan to do, that Nathan was just able to do this, which was impossible, which if you go back to what happened with the fall and, uh, and the sin uh, that came from the fall, uh, it's, it's not, not possible. Uh, so that's that's one of the issues. It would also, uh, kind of God's decree, it would upend that completely. Because who is in control in this world? It's not God. God is not in control in that case. Uh, it is ultimately, well, maybe it's man, but everything else is just left up to chance. Uh, because of this, you know, this, this aspect of, of man choosing. Um, and so what this is saying is that Although God does know all things, He knows what can or, or uh, may or can come to pass on all supposed conditions. Uh, and actually, that's that paragraph, or I'm sorry, that statement is refuting uh, something else that's called middle knowledge, which I'm not going to get into. But it's it's someone else's uh, attempt, uh, apart from Arminius, to uh, say, well, man is in control. Man does have that ability. Uh, but in just a second, we'll go to a passage in Scripture that makes, makes this clear, that kind of lays it out uh, for us. There, there are a number of passages we go to, but we, I want to take this to the most clear. Uh, so we'll look there. Um, but uh, did, do you see what Arminius was saying? Okay, and you see some of the problems with that. Let's let's go to so I, the question in that case is you know is God truly omnipotent, all powerful? Is He truly omniscient, all knowing? Uh, well, not if He has to wait for certain conditions to be met before He knows and and predestines and, and elects and chooses. Uh, not if He has needs to wait. So turn back to. Uh, Romans chapter nine. I've got First Samuel twenty-three. We could go there. Uh, let's just let's go to Romans chapter nine. And we don't have a lot of time, so we're not going to spend a lot of time on this. But uh, just look at Romans chapter nine. A, a couple of things. Um, we won't go through all of this, but uh, verse six. Uh, Paul says, It is not as though the word of God has failed. For all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. And not all are children of, of Abraham because they are his offspring. But, and this is the point that he's making, but through Isaac, your offspring, uh, shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God. It's not... Uh, you know, the, the fleshly descendants, but it is the children of the promise who are counted as offspring. 
Uh, for this is what the promise said, about this time next year I will return and Sarah shall have a son. Uh, so he's going back to, to Genesis, uh, the early chapters of Genesis. And uh, God had told uh, Abraham, uh, Abram, that uh, Sarah would have a son. And then verse 10, and not only so, but when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born and had done nothing either good or bad. Now, that's important there. He's making an argument. He's saying uh, these were babies that were in the womb. They weren't yet born. They had done nothing either good or bad in order that God's purpose of election might continue. What is that? It's this. It's God's decree. In order that God's purpose of election, his, his decree of election, of choosing people, might continue, not because of works, something that man does, but because of him who calls, something that God does, she was told that the older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I love, Jacob I chose, uh, Jacob I ordained before time that he, he would belong to me, but Esau I hated. What that means is Esau I passed over. Esau, I didn't choose. That's the one with all the hair on his arms, right? That's exactly right. Red. That's 100% right. Yes. So uh, uh, so you got Jacob and Esau. Uh, Esau was the one who ate the, ate the soup, the red soup. Yes. Uh, but, but he says, Jacob, I, I chose, I loved, and Esau, I hated, I didn't choose. Uh, and then, what's the immediate response to that? Uh, and it's what I read before. Uh, what shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? This Because this was before they were born. That God chose. And the answer is, by no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. And he's saying... Uh, it, it, there are a couple of things. God does ordain. God does choose. Okay? Uh, we, everyone here, must turn to Christ. And the, we've got the command in Scripture. You must turn to Christ. You must follow Christ. You must receive Christ. Uh, accept this word. And this, the changes will take place inside of you. Your heart will change so that you, you love God and so that you hate sin. Both of those are true. But he doesn't give us everything we need to make the connection between the two. And so the point is that I'm not God and you're not God. God is God. He will have mercy on whom he will have mercy. And compassion on whom he will have compassion. And he will pass over those whom he will pass over. Uh, this is important. Is that, that's, that's why I kind of want to go through it. Yeah, Jim. You know, this is a very important uh, thing that you're covering right now. It, it really shows very, very clearly that uh, that we are not responsible for our own salvation. We are not responsible for, we don't save ourselves. That It is God who saves us. Right, right. He is, he is the author of over our salvation. Mm -hmm. And the reason why we have come to faith is because he has given us that gift of faith. If not for the fact that he has he has been the one who has changed our hearts. We we are not responsible. You know, and that's why this idea of uh, uh, let's say of Arminianism is so pernicious to what the Bible teaches. Because if, even if we are 1% responsible for our salvation, that means that we are taken away from the glory of God. It is God who saves. Uh, and the fact that we are believers here today is because he chose us before we chose him. And so really the question there is, for each one of us, the question should be, why? Why me? Why me? Because I know my own heart. Uh, 
why would you choose me? Uh, it, and and it's not why not uh, others that are out there. And, and I do want to point out, that, and we'll get to this in the confession. Uh, in fact, if you look at, at, at uh, number three, this kind of brings it out. Uh, and I've got it in the notes there. Uh, there are two words that are used. One is predestinated, which means predestined. <laughs> and the other is foreordained. By the decree of God for the manifestation of his glory, some men and angels are predestinated unto everlasting life, and others foreordained to everlasting death. Now, the same word is not used for both, uh, and there's a reason for that. And I just want to, before we go, I want to make sure we, we, we point this out. Uh, that God, in those that He chooses, He work. He does a work. He does a work of faith, uh, and He 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 changes the heart that's there. He gives us a new heart. We're told uh, in a wonderful way, and He gives us the the Holy Spirit. Uh, and so there's a work that He does. But in those whom He passes over, it's truly a a passing over. That's what the, the word seems to represent. It's, he doesn't work do a work of evil in the heart of anyone. Uh, the evil's already there, right? The fall has taken place. Uh, you know, people are dead in their sins and trespasses. They will continue in that way. Uh, but in some, he does that work. From our perspective, though, this is the other part that we have to go back to again and again. We're told you must choose God. And so in that sense, every one of us here has to be Arminian uh, in, in the way that we experience our lives. Now, I'm not saying in the way that we see all of Scripture and everything, but there is a sense in which uh, I've got to choose Christ. But once someone has chosen Christ and they follow Christ and they begin, they begin reading through Scripture and they see, that wasn't me. That was God that did a work in my heart that changed it around. Uh, he gave me a new heart. That was all God. Uh, at that point, all we can do is worship Him and praise Him uh, for the work that He's done. Yeah. I, I, well, I think it's important to remember that in order to choose Him, mm-hmm. He has to give us a new heart. That's right. So the first that's, thing that, that that's absolutely right. In salvation, is a new heart. But the point is that we can't we can't see that we don't know mm-hmm. that in, internally. So but you're exactly one hundred percent. know it is that we want God. Yeah. We look to God then, but we don't look to God and want Him until we're given a new heart. That's the gift of faith. And so one of the things that comes from that is that as we begin to look to Him, as we begin to read Scripture and take joy in it, as all those things uh, begin to happen, and it may be really slowly, but as they begin to happen, what's got to be the result? It's got to be joy because we recognize what Edie said, that this is not of me because I know myself, I know my own heart, I know Scripture now, and I know it's not of me. Uh, I know that this is a work of, of God that He had to do first, and that's where that, that value in knowing that comes, because that's where we get assurance of salvation. That's where we get, uh, you know, joy and and life, and really the ability to worship. Uh, it's like a funny cheesy smile you have on your face all the time, most of the time. <laughs> I like the way you said that. Yeah, just have a cheesy smile that's there underneath the surface that we may not be, we may not actually be. Smiling on the outside, but, but there's this suddenness, this peace, this you know understanding inside that God is God and that I am not. So, um, okay, we ran over a little bit there. Uh, so we will we'll, we'll pick up next time. We'll probably pick up with that number three. I don't know that we. I, so jot down your questions or whatever, and we can go to a couple other passages uh, and and see as well. Um, but uh, let me. Let me say a word of prayer for us. Lord God, we thank you that we can express that and we can know that we're certain that you are God. And there is no other. Uh, your word makes that clear. Uh, that the world is full of false gods, idols that we cling on to. But uh, thank you, Lord, that you have given us a way to, to know you You give us the ability to hear the gospel. 
and then you, you, you place that call upon our hearts to where we draw, are drawn to it, and we hear that, that voice, the voice of the Savior, uh, and we're able to turn and, and go to that voice and be secure in your hand and know more and more who you really are. Uh, know that you are the rock that we can, we can stand upon. You're the one that we can flee to uh, at all times, uh, no matter what. Uh, know that your, your plan is unchanging, uh, that it is uh, rock solid. It's not like the rest of the world. It's not like we are. Uh, who go up and down. So we thank you for that, uh, Father. But help us, help us to know these things. Help us to understand them, to be convicted uh, in our, our hearts of these things, that they are true, uh, Lord. And then, out of that, to take joy and to want to dig in more and more and to, uh, to know out of your word uh, the one who is, uh, who is God. We thank you. We pray that you'll prepare our hearts to worship the one who is God. Uh, we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you.